All right, please take your Bibles this morning. Join me in Genesis chapter 11 as we return to our Sunday morning series through the book of Genesis. Last time we were considering how the earth was of one language and speech. They journeyed to the land of Shinar, found a plain where they could dwell. They decided to make bricks in order to build a city and a tower. But we saw how their purpose in building this was so they would not be dispersed upon the earth. And remember, this was not a religious effort to reach God with good intentions. But this was their efforts to be God. God quoted what Lucifer said in his heart in Isaiah 14, 13, and 14. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And that's what's happening here in our text. They're wanting to reach unto heaven. They're not trying to earn God's approval through their good works, but this was a people living in direct defiance to Almighty God. They were concerned about their own name and not God's name. God had told them, you need to replenish the earth, go out there throughout the earth, and they said, we aren't going anywhere. This is humanism as we talked about last time, pure and simple. This is where man becomes their own God. There are those who are refusing to come to God today because they don't want to lose control. I've met them, maybe you have. I remember witnessing to a lady in Korea many times. And she made it absolutely clear, I'm not coming to God because I do not want to give up my sin. How dangerous. She knew the message. She knew everything I was saying. She comprehended it. I worked with her every day. She said, I just don't, I just don't want to give up my life. How sad. People who are lost and on their way to a devil's hell because in their pride, they want to be the God of their life. But then, we also considered how there's many believers who are good at finding ways to keep control of their life. They refuse to completely let go and allow God to work His plan in their life. Somehow they've convinced themselves that they can do a better job of running their life than God can. Listen, your Creator knows you better than you know yourself. And really the bottom line is, whose name are you living for? Your own name or for God's name? And we have to do away with humanistic thinking and live our life to the glory of God. And so as usual, if you missed the last one, please go back and listen. You can get all the information of what was covered. As we begin today in chapter 11, let's read verses 1 through 9 again this week. The Bible says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. 
And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and therefore confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Well, we left off in verse 4 last time, but before we move to verses 5 through 9, I got some quick thoughts here I'd like to mention that I didn't have time to get to last time. I want you to consider who you associate with will have an impact on your life. People can guide us toward God, or they can guide us away from God. There are no neutral relationships in this life. And the fact is, we tend to take on the characteristics, the attitude, the mindset of those we are around the most. This is why when your children were younger, I know when I was younger, (laughs) and I would spend time at somebody else's house and I would come home and my dad would say, we don't act like that here. And I had to be tuned up. (laughs) And so as believers, we should spend the most time with our Lord. Oh, wow. Wow, that's great. Somebody go check the name outside. Am I at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle? (laughs) Let me say this again. As believers, we should spend the most time with our Lord. Because who you are with the most will affect your behavior. You say, well, I don't need anyone in my life. Oh, I know. And you're such a pleasure to be around because you're yourself on steroids. We see in verses 3 and 4, the phrase, let us, appears three times. So they're being encouraged to do this by the people they associated with. And look at how effective it was. Is it any wonder then, the Bible says in Hebrews 10.24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So our friendships in the world, I'm not talking about acquaintances and all that. You should have lost people that you associate with, right? You should. But our friendships, our close friendships, ought to be those who are fellow believers. Godly believers who will take us to another level of godliness and grow us closer to the Lord and honor God with our life and will say, man, let's go to church. Listen to this. You know the verse, but listen to it with this in mind. Psalm 122 and verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We're provoking one another. And so who you're with affects how you behave. And be careful who you spend your time with. James 4.4 tells us, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Whether you realize it or not, You have powerful influences in your life. It's just a matter of which ones you choose choose to allow into your life. And and listen, I can go there if you want, since we seem a little bit disconnected right now. It can even be when you turn on the television. Those influences you allow in your life, where you go on the internet. Marketers have always tried to leverage influence. 
and they pay these high-profile personalities to endorse their products because they believe it will influence people to buy their product, at least if you're 30 and under. That's usually the demographic they target the most. Unless you watch Andy Griffith like I do, and the commercials are all these medicines that I, you know, yeah. And it's funny, because I'll be watching Andy Griffith, and all of a sudden the commercial comes on, and I'll be like, and it's like, you don't have to be so loud. I was just watching TV. Why? All the old-timers are watching, amen? All right, well, I just offended half the church. but So there's these high-profile personalities come by our product, and now they have, <laughs> look, I'm not plugged in, but I'm learning this. That's probably an old term. And now they have these uh, social media influencers. You can be an influencer. Wow, that's cool. And some of these get paid quite a bit to endorse a product, and so it must be effective. Now I was thinking, oh, oh, Jim Bob eats spam. Well... If Jim Bob eats Spam, I must get Spam because I like Jim Bob. And if he likes Spam, I love Spam. Hey, honey, go get me some Spam. It works. I don't think companies would waste their money. What am I saying? You're being influenced. So who is influencing you? And this is what it ultimately comes down to. Do you have a secular worldview or a biblical worldview? Do your influences bring you to God or do they push you away from God? Well, we see this mass of people, they're influenced to build a city and a tower. Something, maybe it was one and the same, like a city tower, but whatever the case. In verse 2, we read, when they came to the plain in Shinar, they dwelt there. This is more, this is emphasizing to us, this is more than just a place to reside. They, by dwelling there, it really has the idea that they have set their affections there. They fastened themselves, they tethered themselves to this world. But what does the Bible say to God's children? In Colossians 3, 1 and 2, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. And then Hebrews eleven thirteen, For we have here no continuing city, but we seek one to come. I may live in rapid, but I don't dwell in rapid. Are you with me? My citizenship is in heaven. I'm just passing through. Hebrews 11.10 says of Abraham, For he looked for a city who hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. Hebrews 11.16 says, But now they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. It's interesting when you compare the two, the foundation of the city and tower of Babel was stone covered with slime. But according to Revelation 21.19, the foundation of the walls of God's city are all manners of precious stones. The walls are like jasper. The twelve gates are twelve pearls. The street and the city are pure gold like unto clear glass. But that's not even the best part of it. Hallelujah. Hebrews 12.22 says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels. The best part is, it's where God dwells. And the glory of God lightens it and the Lamb is the light thereof. And so listen, why set your affection on the things of this earth? You understand the day's coming that it's all going to be purged with fire. And all that you labor for and all your possessions are going to mean nothing in that day. Therefore, we're told to lay up treasures in heaven. Don't look for a city upon this earth. 
Hey, newsflash, there's nowhere else to go. The world's been mapped. There is no new world. And so you might as well get it through. Hey, we need to be looking heavenward. So don't look for a city upon this earth, but confess that we are strangers and pilgrims. Now, as we come to verse 5, try to get this picture in your mind because really this is, this is quite humorous. There's actually a lot of humor in the Bible. Here, they are building a tower to reach unto heaven. And this was to be the most magnificent structure ever built by man upon this earth up to this point in history. Surely God is going to be impressed. Well, look at verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. Now, obviously, God could see everything from His throne in the third heaven. Amen? I mean, He's God. He could see what was happening. But God has to condescend Himself to see their frail enterprise. This is written in a way to show us how insignificant this really was in the eyes of God. Psalm 113, verses 5 and 6, Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth? And so here's man trying to build this great tower into heaven. They're going to be God and and they're going to be impressive. And God says, we got to go down there. It's humorous is what it is. And if you're not finding it humorous, I'm sorry. To me it was funny. The, The Titanic was the greatest ship of its time. And immediately it had a reputation of being unsinkable. Oops. It is said someone made the comment, not even God Himself could sink this ship. But we all know how that ended up. It didn't even complete her maiden voyage. In verse 5, God attributes this city and tower as a work of the children of men. And this is most likely just denoting the frailty of man. With all of us having inherited the sin nature of Adam. We're all sinners, and we all are frail. Some think, and I'm not against it necessarily, some think there may be a delineation here, like we saw back in chapter 6 where the sons of God saw the daughters of men. And there's room for that line of thought here that perhaps there's a separation here between what the sons of God would have been doing and what the children of men are over there building, but we're not told. And certainly what we are meant to see is the greatness of our God. God in comparison to man. The creature cannot have power over the Creator. The clay cannot have power over the potter. Psalm 144 and verse 3, Lord, what is man that Thou takest knowledge of him? Or the sons of men that Thou makest account of him? And we do see in verse 5 that God does take account. And, And right there we could stop and preach and just let you know, God cares about your life. He takes an account. He's watching. He knows. He's interested in your life. But we see that God is just. What what we learn there is that God hears the conclusion of the whole matter before He passes judgment. Are you catching this? Let us go down and see. I'm not just going to make a snap decision. I believe this is a, a lesson for us. Because God knew their heart. He didn't have to come down. He knew their heart. And He doesn't pass uh, judgment right away, but He gives space for repentance in His mercy. 
And I believe this is an example for us to learn that we ought to examine all the evidence before we make a, ha- a, a rash decision. Amen? Because too many make snap judgments. Now in verse 6, we get God's take. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. They have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. When God gives His assessment, He is not fearful of man and what they can achieve. God is not threatened. God is sovereign. God is not worried that He's going to be challenged here. God is not concerned with being overthrown by man. But when God saw them all united together in their sinfulness, He knew man, and listen, you got to start getting this, He knew man would continue in their sin to their own demise. Don't miss that in all of this. God says, now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Remember what God said in His heart in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21 after the flood. He said, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Mankind is totally depraved apart from God. When we sin, it becomes easier to sin again. Everybody with me? And what happens as we sin and it's easier to sin, we end up in sin we didn't even think we were going to be in when we first started sinning over here. Some of you have ventured down avenues of the internet you never thought you'd be viewing. It started right over here. And now it's led you all the way down here and you're wondering how how in the world did I end up here? I don't think some believers have yet to understand the depth of the wickedness they're capable of. And, and I say this because there are many who have concluded that I really wasn't that bad. No, 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 you were that bad. If, if Jesus died on the cross for you, you must have been that bad. And so, don't lose sight of who you are apart from God. Notice, God says this is what they began to do. In other words, they were capable of much more. Which we gather from the statement, nothing will be restrained from them. Therefore, God, (laughs) hallelujah, He intervenes in verses 7 and 8. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. Now, it's interesting that man kept saying, let us, but now we see God saying, let us. And like we saw in chapter 1, when God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, we see again the plurality of the Godhead. Say, wait a minute, I thought we were monotheistic. We are. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So we are monotheistic in that we worship one God, but in ways that I can't fully satisfy to all of your liking and curiosity is that God manifests Himself through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You can find places where all three are called God in the Bible, and yet all three are one. And now we see God's purpose in coming down was to confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And when God confounded them, He really confounded them. 
Did you know it's estimated there are approximately 7,117 languages in the world? <laughs> what? Now, if I understand that correctly, that includes all the various dialects. But you still get the point that what occurred this day in Bible history affected the world even till today. This is how we got the table of nations we studied in chapter 10. In chapter 10, after listing the nations from Japheth, and then the nations from Ham, and then from Shem, we read in each occurrence there that they were divided after their tongues, which is their language. And here's what I want to cover that I did not, that last thought I said I was going to get to from chapter 10 that I haven't got to yet. There are three men, I said, who stand out in chapter 10 in my mind, and those are Nimrod, Eber, and, and Peleg. And the Bible says in Genesis 10, 25, And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg. For in his days was the earth divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. So how was the earth divided? Well, you'll get all kinds of opinions out there. Uh, some people, <laughs> I'm not even going to give you the opinions. There's a lot of opinions out there. I think it's clear that the answer is found here in chapter 11 of how the earth was divided. And sure enough, to this day, nations around the world are largely divided upon their languages. Critics of the Bible will say that what we're reading here in chapter 11, and, and really they'll say this of the first 11 chapters, but that this is just an, an origin myth which means we would use this to explain how we got so many different languages in the world. So we had to come up with a myth to make sense of it. I personally feel by having all the different languages in the world, this helps to prove the existence of God. In my mind, it would make no sense otherwise to have such varying languages in the earth. Why would mankind just voluntarily do this? I read one article posted on mentalfloss.com. I stumbled across it, okay? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> it stated this, quote, Over thousands of years, humans split off into groups that migrated in different directions. As that happened, one language could turn into many. When people didn't mix much, their words didn't either. End quote. Now, it's interesting how the world's opinion is opposite of that that we find in Genesis. Humans did migrate into different directions, but it didn't lead to different languages. Rather, biblically, different languages led to the migration. And I can't help but ask myself, why would someone move and then randomly decide to come up with a new language? It really doesn't make sense in my mind logically. We have some documentaries. of, a, Like I, I said, I used to want to live all by myself. I've got some documentaries about a guy who lives all by himself. And, uh, but God made me a pastor. <laughs> That's funny. And um, they're about a man named Dick Prinicky. He lived uh, alone in a remote section of Alaska for a little over 30 years, all by himself. And when he finally had to come out of the wilderness due to old age, he was 83. Um, amazingly, when he left the wilderness, he still spoke the same language he did when he went into the wilderness. <laughs> all right. All right, I'm getting snarky. I'm sorry. So back to the question, why did God confound their language? Well, because of as I've already stated, listen, they were headed for their own destruction. So this prevented further sin at that time. This was actually the goodness of God because man's heart is desperately wicked. And we will destroy ourselves when left to ourselves. But God was also saving man from man. 
God knew it was best that we have these divisions take place in order to protect us from the abuse of power of one government. God here is decentralizing power. This confusion of language established a checks and balances in the world among nations instead of having a one world government. Now, a one world government is fine if the ruler doesn't have a sin nature. When Christ rules and reigns for a thousand years, it'll be glorious. He's perfect. But we've seen throughout history the dangers of governments falling into the wrong hands. This is why we're always keeping an ear out for the desire of a one-world government because absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now, our founders understood this. They fought to come out from under the tyranny of King George III. And in the place of a monarchy, they sought to establish a system, a government with a system of checks and balances because they understood the depravity of man's sin nature and his inclination to grab power. And by the leading of God, they came up with the separation of powers in the judicial, legislative, and executive branches of government. These three areas are found in our God. In Isaiah 33, 22, for the Lord is our judge. That's judicial. The Lord is our lawgiver. That's legislative. And the Lord is our king. That's executive. He will save us. The original intent was for the federal government to be limited. The states to have more power. That was the original intent. What was that to do? It was to give power to the people. That's what's supposed to be great about these United States. In a manner of speaking, the founders set up an inefficient, an inefficient form of government where it would be difficult to get things accomplished. But now we've become unbalanced in America. New presidents now have this nasty little habit of the first week in office assigning all these executive orders. That's not how we were set up. And in many respects, we're now an oligarchy where the judges rule the land. The will of the people can vote and a judge will say, oh, no, no, that's not constitutional. We're out of whack. Understand that freedom is when the government is afraid of the people. Tyranny is when the people are afraid of the government. And I don't think I have to convince you of the writing on the wall of what direction we're heading. But the point is in our text is that God has just complicated their governmental system by confounding their language. And we see it mentioned twice in verses 8 and 9 that from this God scattered them abroad uh, over the face of all the earth. So this was a global event taking place. In Acts 17, 26, I've quoted this many times already, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times appointed. But get this, and the bounds of their habitation. The boundaries. Did you know God intends for there to be enforceable borders? So you didn't just go there, did you? Yeah. God says several times, this isn't me, this is God. God says several times in His Word, don't remove the ancient landmarks. I won't go any deeper for the sake of the saints. But borders are one of the components necessary for a nation's existence. We can say from our text that all the nations owe their existence to this event. Now, if you're a Christian in North Korea, that may not be a comfort to you. It may not be a huge blessing. But if you're a Christian in America, then you are grateful. 
just imagine if there was a one world nation where Kim, Kim Jong-un was the world's leader. You'd want some borders. You'd want some nations. You'd want some freedoms. And again, this speaks to the goodness of God to the children of men in our text. Now, I, I want you to get this if I'm losing you in all this. God will sometimes set obstacles for us. We may see them as a bad thing, but it's really a blessing from God to protect us. That's what I see in this text. Man thought he was going to be great. They wanted their own God. Let's build this great tower to reach unto heaven. But they ended up doing so to their own confusion. And notice how easily it was for God to scatter them. Man is not nearly as powerful as he thinks he is. No nation, no government will ever be a threat to God. Psalm 2, 1-4, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. (laughs) Well, the Lord intervenes here, and we see at the end of verse 8, they left off building the city. They're so confounded, they can't even work together anymore. This would be like Harry and Russ on steroids. (laughs) They were dispersed in the earth just as God originally intended. Sorry, if you don't know Harry and Russ working together, come to me afterwards, I'll tell you. Um, Amen. (laughs) They are dispersed in the earth just as God originally intended it. You see, you can resist God all you want, God will win. God told them to disperse in chapter 9. They said no, and God said, oh, yes, you will. Our best course of action is to be obedient to the Lord. Now, while their attempt at a one-world government was stopped by God and they left off building the city, this mindset is being resurrected today. The devil only departs for a season. You can see that over in Luke 4.13 when the devil departed Jesus. It said, for a season. Matthew 12, verses 43 through 45. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. We're seeing a push today for a one world government. If, if you're plugged in at all, you can hear certain leaders will talk about a world without borders. That's a catchphrase. And it's interesting how there's now one primary, one primary language used among the nations. My younger sister, she travels frequently abroad in her, her business um, to conduct business with her company. She's overseas a lot. And so I texted her and I asked, is English the unofficial business language of the world? And without hesitation, she wrote right back, yes, definitely. Did you know English is the only global, or is the global aviation language? All pilots who fly internationally have to be able to speak English, according to the International Civil Aviation Organization standards. 
So what is taking place right before our eyes today? We're drifting back into one language. I'm not saying we're going to do away with all the languages, but we're, we're drifting back to one primary business language. And it's leading to globalization, which is leading to the new world order, which is leading to a one world government. And it's really very fascinating when you look at how the stage is being set today. It's what the devil had desired since the Tower of Babel. And now he's back at it. One day God's going to allow it to come to pass because God's fulfilling his purposes in the earth. And in his wrath, he's going to judge the nations. There's a lot here that I don't have time to get into, but I want you to see their language was confounded. And now they have no choice but to leave off building the city. We see in verse 9, Therefore is the name of it called Babel or Babel. And many times you'll find in Scripture, if you keep reading, you get the definition of what that name means. And we get that here in this verse. It says, because the Lord did confound their language of all the earth. So Babel means to confound. Now, what did they say in verse 4? Do you remember that? Let us make us a name. Can you name any of them? We, we can maybe theorize that Nimrod was a part of this, but we're never told. We can't name one person involved in this project. Let us make us a name. It was funny. I was traveling south, and I went through uh, Memphis, mistake number 12 of my trip, and um, I saw the billboards for Graceland. Who even cares anymore? Some of you older people are like, yeah, man, I do. You ask the generation today, who's Elvis? Let us make a name. Who cares? Nobody's going to remember you in 100 years anyway. We can't even remember our presidents. I know the first and the 16th and the one currently. Yeah, me too. Can you name the fifth? Can you name his vice president? I mean, let us make us a name. Okay, go ahead. It ain't going to mean nothing in just 100 years. I can't even tell you who won the Heisman Trophy five years ago. And I follow college football. I could probably look it up and go, oh, yeah, it's forgotten. Well, I'm on a rant. They wanted a name. I can't name one of them. And God says, if you want a name so bad, I'll give you a name. How about Babel? Because you are a confused people. And I want you to know as I close that when you live a life apart from God, you're going to end up in a life full of confusion. And so I want to ask you, are you living in confusion today? Are you confused why life doesn't really make sense? Are you confused why things just never seem to work out in your life? Maybe you're confused on where you're going to spend eternity. Is there an eternity? Are you without peace? It could be you're rebelling against God and you're trying to build your own city and tower. Maybe you're living a life that is for self. And you're trying to accomplish everything on your own apart from God. In short, you are still your own God. 1 Corinthians 14.33 For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So I just want you to know this morning, you don't have to live a life of confusion. But you can have the peace of God even in turbulent times. Why not decide today to stop doing things your way and start doing things His way? 
And then lastly, I'll say, don't miss the fact that an obstacle, it may be of God for your own good. Because God knows how to protect you. And He may send an obstacle your way to protect you. Don't miss how God may be working. Let God have His perfect work in your life. Let's pray.